Um, as you're seated, uh, David's going to bring around a little communion in the middle of our my sermon. I'm going to we're going to take communion, so he's going to bring those around. If you need help, maybe uh, ask someone next to you uh, to uh, help you. But um, uh, we're going to do that. We'll do that here in a minute. And uh, I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you think of when you hear the word abundance? Think about that. What do you think of when you hear the word abundance? I got a little definition. Of course, my definition suits my sermon. (laughs) But here's my definition. A supply that never runs out. Does that sound appropriate? A supply that never runs out. You know, when I think of abundance, I think of... uh, in, in, in uh, the Bible, I think of the story of uh, Jesus when, uh, they were, when he was teaching and then he had to stop and feed uh, a meal to the, the 5,000 people. Do you all remember that? And uh, there was an abundance there. They never ran out. The, they kept giving out and kept giving out. They only had, uh, what was it, uh, three fishes or four fishes. I don't remember, three fishes and two loaves of bread, you know. And so they didn't, they didn't have a whole lot. They just had some kids' lunch. And uh, the way I understand it, it wasn't a big fish like we think of. I mean, it was probably just a small little sardine-type deal because, I mean, how much fish can one kid eat, right? And uh, so it couldn't have been too big. Um, and, David, I also need one. I forgot to grab myself one. <laughs> so you can tell I'm on a ball. This, I'm on the ball this morning. Uh, but anyway, uh, so you can, you can just imagine... That it wasn't very big, but as they began, as they blessed it, as Jesus blessed it and started praying over it, uh, it started multiplying, and there was, thank you, and there was an abundance. There was an abundance. And so that's kind of the thing I think about. Now, that's not my sermon this morning, but it goes along with my sermon. We're going to talk about provisions. We're going to talk about God supplying our needs, God uh, providing for whatever we need for J. Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary to China, and he once said this, and I love this quote. I think it's up here. Yeah. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. Is that not good? I want to read it one more time. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. Now, that's something to rejoice about. When we are in God's will, when we are doing what God wants us to do, we don't have to worry because God is going to provide for us. You know, you can look all throughout the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and we can read about Israel's wandering in the wilderness and how God provided for them. Think about this for just a moment. This is what happened to these guys. God led them with the cloud. He led them with fire. He kept their clothes from wearing out. He provided for them with water in the desert. And he fed them manna. The whole time that they were on this journey, he provided for them. But look at what Joshua chapter 5 verse 12 says. It says, the manna stopped, excuse me, the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites But that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Do you notice that? Did you notice that? You're like, what are you talking about? Think about this. The whole time they're wandering around in the wilderness, God's providing the manna. 
But the moment their feet step foot in the Canaan, the promised land, the manna stops. Why? Because it is flowing. Remember what it said? A land flowing with milk and honey. It's got everything that they need. What happened was God provided for them the entire time they were in the wilderness. And then as soon as they got to where they were going, the manna stopped because they had the provisions that was there in the land. You see, God never stops supplying. Manna was their provision in the wilderness, but the possession of Canaan was their uh, provision to advance into the promised land. Now, I want us to take a moment. I want us to read a few verses from chapter 5 of Joshua. So if you have your Bibles, go to Joshua chapter 5, and I want to begin at verse 9. Joshua chapter 5, I want to begin at verse 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand, Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither he, neither, he, neither he replied, But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You see, this passage of Scripture that I've read to you, I believe it represents three provisions that were provided to the Israelites, and I believe they can also be seen in the life of this church as well. And the first provision that I want to talk to you about is the provisions of the past. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. Now, do you remember the Passover? Or do you remember what it was? We find the instructions for the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. They have to take a perfect male lamb. They have to slaughter it. They were to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they, where they uh, eat the lambs. The same night, they were to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And then that same night, God would pass through Egypt and he would strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And he promised that he would bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. The blood 
was a sign for each house. God would know to pass over that house and no destructive plague would touch them. The Passover in Egypt had been celebrated in anticipation of the exodus as the point when Israel would head out towards the land that Yahweh had promised to the patriarchs. The Passover here in Joshua 5 is celebrated with the knowledge that Yahweh has indeed brought them to the land in fulfillment of his promise and that therefore they can also anticipate moving beyond their toehold in Gilgal. In other words, they can both look back with thanksgiving to the things that God has done while also looking forward to the additional things that he will do. I believe in the same way. When you and I celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're simultaneously remembering what God has done for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we are anticipating the day when Jesus returns. Can can we do this? Here's what I want us to do. I want us to just take a moment, and you have the emblems in front of you, and we want to participate this morning. We want to remember what Christ has done by taking communion. If you would, take your your juice. If you did not get one, you can raise your hand and we'll bring you one. But we want to celebrate the past. We want to celebrate the provision of what God has done in our life and what he's done in our hearts, how he has saved us, how he has changed us, Think about who you were before you got saved. Think about who you were. Now think about who you are today. Think about the person that you are today. That is because of what Christ did at Calvary when he went to the cross and he died on that cross. He bore our sins so that we would not have to have them any longer. He took those sins upon himself. We sang about it this morning. We sang about it this morning in several of these songs talking about how Jesus took our sins. And that gives us something that we can rejoice about. Amen? So what we're going to do right now is I want us to take this. I'm going to real briefly tell you, the bread represents Christ's body. We remember what he went through, that whenever he took those stripes upon his back, it was for our healing. He did those things for us. And then when we take this juice, this juice represents the blood of Christ. That as we drink it, we remember that his blood was shed on the cross so that we could have eternal life. Let's pray over these. Lord, we just come to you right now. And as we take these emblems of communion, communion, help us to remember. Help us to remember of what you went through and then what you've done for us. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You can take these today. Hallelujah. The Israelites were remembering the past and what God had done done for them. You and I, we remember the past and what Jesus did for us on the cross and being raised from the dead. This is an act of remembrance. We are remembering the provision. They remembered what God had brought, how he had provided all in that time in the wilderness, all in that time. And, and, and they were celebrating that. 
They were remembering the provision that God had done. When we take communion, that's what we're doing. We're remembering the provisions of what God has done for us. How he's healed our body, the times that he's healed our body, how he's uh, uh, cleansed us of our sins, and, and, and everything that he has done for us and what he's done for us, it's been a wonder and it's been magnificent. This is an act of remembrance. And it's important for us to remember what God has done for us and what he's brought us out of, but we cannot and we must not dwell on the past. Amen? And here's why. God has a greater abundance waiting for us. That's why we can't dwell on the past. The past was good, right? You ever sit there and just think, oh, man, I remember the past. Do you? We were talking about this. You know, we may, we may look out and we may think, man, life was so much simpler when I was little. You know, and when, when kids are young, they're thinking what? Man, I want to be, I'm, I can't wait to be this or I can't wait to be that. They want to grow up fast. But yet we remember the past. And can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with the past. We sang songs that were from the past this morning. Right? I mean, those, those are some old songs, right? I mean, I don't know when they were written, but they were old enough that they have a public domain, which means that they're free for us to, to play, listen to, whatever we want to do, and not have to worry about copyright infringement laws, you know? So that tells you that they're probably about 100 years old, and there's nothing wrong with any of those songs. We were worshiping with those songs, and we're remembering the past. Some of y'all remember growing up in church listening to those songs. And you maybe, maybe some memories started coming back of some people that were in your life that maybe either, maybe either sang those songs or, you know, it was, a, I, you know, one of my memories growing up was going to the nursing home, you know. And I remember we, we, that's all we had at the nursing home was hymnals. We didn't have an overhead projector. We didn't have anything. So we'd pass out all the hymnals and we'd sing whatever's in those books because that's what we had. But I remember going with my grandparents and my parents to the nursing home. Those are memories. And I thank God for those memories. And we want to remember the past, but we don't want to dwell in the past. Amen? God's provision was great in the past. But how? But here's the thing. God has a greater abundance for us in the future. Amen? God has something far greater than we've ever imagined or even possibly could imagine. And the second thing is the provisions of today. Look at verse 12 again. Joshua 5, verse 12 says, The manna, and I've read this several times, but the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Manna was their provision in the wilderness. It's what they had. That's all they had. It's what God had provided for them. He did start sending them some quail after they started complaining. You know, they started growing. He's like, fine, here's some quail too, you know. And it like, I mean, opened up the heavens and just, I mean, he dumped quail on them. Like from, like, where did all these quail come from, you know? But the possession of Canaan was now their provision. It was their provision to advance into the promised land. They'd be living off the land. God never stopped providing for the Israelites, now, of course, the manna was something that fell from heaven and the provision in Canaan was from the land, but God placed them in the right field at the right time so they could enjoy the provisions for that time. Amen? 
Now, let me ask you a question. How many of us take for granted the provisions that God provides for us on a daily basis? Think about that. It's easy to thank God for the miracles, right? Because you don't see it coming. You know, like all of a sudden you're, you're flat broke and you're thinking, man, what am I going to do? And someone knocks on your door. Do you walk up to the door and they hand you a $100 bill and just tell you, hey, God told me to give this to you? You're thinking, man, that's awesome. I can tell you story after story after story of things that happened here at this church wondering how in the world we're ever going to provide for that week when there was no way and then all of a sudden somebody would show up out in the front lawn with a check for $2,500 or somebody would give us a check that week for $5,000 or $10,000 or there would be $300 taped to a door out here or there would be $1,000 slid underneath my, my door. Just tell you time and time again of things that God has done, and those provisions are easy, but we tend to neglect and forget about the daily provisions of how God gives us the abilities to get up every single morning and go to work to provide for our families. We forget about how God uh, gives us the energy and the strength to be able to go and cook us a meal or be able to go to the grocery store to know what to buy so that we can come home and make it. And then when we have a little bit of extra money so that we can go to a restaurant and have somebody else cook a meal for us. We forget about those daily provisions, don't we? Why? Because they just seem to come. They just seem to be just part of the daily routine. But here's the thing. God provides everything for us. God is our provider. He gives us the skills that we need. He gives us the in, help, to, the abilities to make the income that we have. And that's why that I, I make it a point to give my first tenth to the Lord. And then I live on the rest that he's given me. My provision comes in my obedience. I am obedient because I love God and he's taking care of me. My trust is in him. That was true in my past. That is true today and it'll be true in my future. Amen. He is my provision. The end of the manna signaled a new phase in Israel's history. The people were no longer in the wilderness, but they were in their homeland. And because of God's provision, they were able to take possession of the land that God had promised them many generations ago, beginning with Abraham. Israel would continue on and possess the lands that God promised through God's provision. And that brings me to my third provision, the provisions that are to come. God is not finished with us yet, amen? God still has more work for us to do. Israel was not done just because they had reached Canaan. Now they had to go and possess the land that God had promised them, and it all starts with Jericho. Look at verses 13 and fit through 15 again in our text. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua 
did so. You see, this is just the beginning. Chapter 6 is when you read the plans that God has for the city of Jericho. God gave Joshua a very specific and quite unusual strategy for conquering the city of Jericho. Now, some of us might even think that it was a crazy plan. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, this is, this is ludicrous. They marched around the city quietly for six days. And then, around the, then, then they went around the city seven times on the seventh day. And finally, they broke the silence by blowing horns and shouting on the seventh time around the city on the seventh day. That seems crazy. Does it not? I mean, if I told you to do that today, you're going to look at me like I done lost my marbles. If I said, hey, God's telling me this is what we need to do to take this city. And I were to get you out there and we were to walk around the borders of Fort... First of all, you're saying, that's a long distance. I ain't walking those borders. Right? I mean, we're like, that's nuts. That's insane. But we're going to do it for, you know, several days. We're going to do this. Think about this. Jericho was a tremendously strong and walled city. Some historians believe it was the most strongly fortified city in all of Canaan. Yet when the Israelites obediently followed the strategy that God gave them, acting in God's power and in the strength of God's provision, the walls of Jericho fell. And while God didn't ask them to replicate that strategy for any other city, he did require absolute obedience to the strategy that he gave for that specific city and for that specific situation. The eventual goal was possession of the entire land. We need that same mentality today, amen? God is giving us a task to accomplish. He is asking us to look ahead. He is giving us something to possess. He is calling us to possess the nations. Look at what he said, what he has said to us in Psalm 2, 8. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. As Israel possessed Canaan, so we are to proclaim Jesus Christ as king and conqueror and possess the people who don't know who Jesus is. We must let them know. Amen? We have to move away from a manna mentality where we think, well, God will give me what I need for today. And we have to move toward the attitude of dominion. When we take on this new dimension of abundance, we are trusting God to give us more than enough for ourselves and today, but also it require us to share this abundance with others. We must accept the challenge of our inheritance and of possessing the land by incorporating this new mentality of abundance into our everyday existence. No more manna. Can I tell you, the people got tired of manna. Why? Why did they get tired of manna? It was from God. I believe something happened. I believe their heart wasn't in it. You know what I mean? 
I truly, I, and this is just me, it doesn't say, it just says that they were griping and complaining, and God said, okay, I'll give you some quail. But I truly believe their heart wasn't in it. Can I tell you, when God gives us a promise, we need to stay true to that promise. It may not feel like it's coming. It may not feel like it's approaching us. It may not feel like it's ready or it's available. But God has promised us something, and we need to take that promise to heart. And when we take that promise to heart and understand that God has a plan and a purpose for us and what he wants us to do, that's when we can receive that, and then we can go and do and fulfill what he's calling us to do. But we must exhibit a dominion mentality and attitude that leads to possession. And this attitude, this mentality, this dominion mentality is based on servanthood. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We should not attempt to possess regions and peoples for our own benefit. We're not doing this so everybody says, man, look at that church. It's not why we're doing this. We're not, we're not, we're not having... You know, we're not having success in, in things just so that people will look at us and say, man, look at them. We're not doing this so that we get a pat on the back, so that we can walk around and pat each other on the back. We're doing this for the kingdom of God. We are called to release them from Satan's dominion and place them under God's sovereignty. Amen. For Joshua and Israel, that meant they had to do battle according to God's revealed plan. God guaranteed the result, and if they were willing to obey, it means that because of the work of Christ on Calvary, then the unreached people are ours. God wants you and me, his church, he wants his church to seize and possess those people that need to know Jesus for his glory through prayer, through cooperative outreach so that they can receive what God has done for them. You know what happened after Jericho? So they they did exactly what God wanted them to do at Jericho. They did the whole marching thing. The walls came down. They went in. They possessed the land except one little guy his name was Achan. God said, don't take any of the spoils from the land. That, this land is mine. He said, you'll have everything else from here on out. This land is mine. This was their tithe. This was the first land. It was God's. God said, it's mine. I want it. Don't take any of it. Well, Achan got this idea. Well, surely a little bit won't hurt. So he took the, some of the spoils from the land. They go to Ai, and they get the dog mess beat out of them. I mean, just whooped. And Joshua was like, goes to God and said, God, what's the deal here? You told me that you were going to allow us to possess the land. And God said, yeah, I will. But you got a problem. There is somebody in your camp that has not done what I've told you to do. He said, well, God, who is it? He said, call them out. Bring them in. Bring them before. And they did. And they got everybody. And they got it all the way down to this one guy, Achan. And they find out that he had taken some spoils from the land. And because they had taken some spoils from the land, God said, that's your problem. You need to get rid of the sin that's in the camp. And they went in and they wiped his entire family out, 
every piece, lineage all the way through and wiped it all out, cleaned it out. So then they went and fought Ai again because they had gotten rid of the problem. They went and fought Ai again, and this time they were able to conquer and go in and possess that land. You see, here's the thing. God is going to reveal a plan to us. God is going to give us a purpose and a plan of what we are to do, what we are to accomplish. We need to listen to what he's telling us, and then we need to obey the word that he has given us. We can't just go into it blindly. We have to go in with the plan that God has calling us and what God wants us to do. This is a giant task, amen? There's a lot of people that do not know Jesus. It's a large task. But guess what? We're not the only ones that have been tasked with this challenge. However, we have to do our part. And when we are obedient to what God is asking us to do, then we will see an abundance of resources continue to flow in for us to do the work that God has asked us to do. So it is time for all of us to make a decision. Are we going to follow God's calling and listen to his voice to do the work that he is asking us to do? Or are we going to continue to just do what we have to do to get by? What are we going to do? I want to do all that I can for what God is asking me to do. Here's what I believe. If God's telling you to do something, you don't have to sit there and look at your abilities. If God is speaking to your heart and telling you, I want you to do this, you don't have to sit there and look at yourself and say, God, I'm not fit to do that. God says, I don't care what you think. I'm telling you what I'm calling you to do. Think about David. David was a little shepherd boy when he was asked to be king. And look at what he did. Look what he accomplished for God. Why? Because God had called him. God don't only see what we see. God sees something far greater than what we could ever be. But I want to do everything that God wants me to do. It may require me to think differently. It may require me to give differently. It may require me to act differently. But whatever it is, I want to do what God wants me to do. And my question to you is, are you with me? Are you wanting to give God everything and let him supply the abundance for you to do the work that he is calling you to do? Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you for this time that we can come and be in this house. And God, I thank you for everyone that's here that has heard this message. God, you have an abundance that's there for us. God, there are things that you are going to ask us to do that may seem crazy. It may seem impossible. It may seem like we just can't do it. But God, with your power and with your strength and with your resources, with your abundance, we can do all things through you that have called us and asked us to do those things. So we need to listen to what you're saying and we need to obey. So, God, as a church, we are standing together today. And we are listening to your voice. Speak to us. Speak to us and have us to do your desire, your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we all stand this morning? I want us to stand. I know we did this last week. I believe there's something about praying for one another. Can we just do that? Can we just reach over and maybe hold someone on the shoulder? Or and can we just pray for one another right now? Just pray for 
whatever it may be. Maybe, maybe God is calling you to do something. If you want to, then just say something to somebody. You know, say, hey, you know, I, I want to pray for this or I want to pray for that. And let's just pray for one another right now. Can we do that? God, we just come to you right now. God, all over this congregation, God, I pray for every individual that's here. I pray that as we are joining our hearts together, God, to hear your voice, to hear what you're saying to us, that we can be who you've called us to be, to do what you've called us to do. God, we give you praise and we give you glory. We ask you to move in our hearts, move in our lives, do a work in our lives. We give you praise, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord Jesus, you're king. Lord Jesus, you're king. We love you today, Lord. We love